I want to turn your attention to the book of Amos, chapter number seven. We're going to walk through and take a look at God's thoughts from God's book. While you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a bad attitude? I have. By the nervous laughter out there, some of you may have had a bad attitude today. I don't know. I've had a bad attitude before. I shared this with the, with the IBC chapel when I closed out chapel yesterday, but I've had a bad attitude before. I, I had a complaining spirit. You ever had a complaining spirit? And I was griping. The good news was, though, I was griping to the Lord. That's a good person to gripe to. Better than griping to your spouse or griping to coworkers. It's, I, was, I was just kind of complaining to the Lord. Talking about things and things I was dealing with and things I was carrying and uh, quite frankly, feeling a little overwhelmed. You ever felt overwhelmed? And I was, while I was sitting there complaining in my heart, in my spirit, the Lord began to talk to me. And Brother Lopez just mentioned it, how the Lord dealt with him in the balcony. You, when, you, when you live for the Lord, you, you, can, you begin to recognize his voice. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. You could just kind of, something's different. It's, this is, this is something, something's happening here. And God began to deal with me and deal with my heart. And that, that's a good day. And here's what I just really felt that really strong in that moment. And it was, it was a familiar voice. It was the voice of the Lord. It was that, that something different. And he, he impressed upon my heart that I run to him with my problems. He asked me, how many times have you came to me with problems and asked me to do things for you. We just did it right here tonight. And I believe in that. And I've depended on that. I've asked God for big things and I've asked God for little things. And he's answered big things and he's answered little things that would be insignificant to you. I don't even hardly testify about them because you would think all oh, that's silly. But to me, that little thing was a big thing. So I run to the Lord and I ask him things, but and I thought, well, Lord, I ask you a lot of things. I've asked you many things even this week. And then the question, what can I ask of you? And I had to repent in that moment because I realized that there's some days that the Lord wants us to carry something. That we, we don't just live for him to be put on ice until the rapture happens. He's called us to do something. And so he began to deal with my heart. What can I ask of you? What can I ask of you? So that's my question tonight to this great church. What can God ask of us? Because the answer to that question, what can God ask of you? It determines so much about your relationship with him. It determines so much about your attitude and your heart. And I believe that if you get this question right, It'll help you live for God. It'll help you live for God with a joy about you because God does ask certain things of us. And I know those of you that have lived for God, you know that. And in some ways I'm preaching to the choir, a church that is so faithful and giving, but perhaps there's somebody here tonight that God is asking something great of you. And I'm here to help you reframe your life to reframe that struggle that you're in or reframe that situation that you're dealing with and, and remind you that just perhaps it's something that God is asking you to do so that he can get the glory. Let's look now at Amos chapter number seven. 
And this chapter has, along with what the Lord did for me in that moment, this chapter has stood out. And many times when you, when you read or hear the prophets preached or think about them, you can place yourself in the shoes of those who are being preached to, the disobedient or unrepentant or the God's people that are rebellious. And I've been in those shoes before where I've been resisting the Lord and I've been that person in Scripture. But the beautiful thing about Scripture is that you can see yourself in so many different areas of it. Sometimes you're the hero, perhaps, and sometimes you're the villain. There's no really perfect person except for Jesus Christ in this book. And so there's, when you're reading it and you're reading a narrative, you can see yourself. Hopefully you can see yourself in the Apostle Peter's courage and boldness. But maybe you also see yourself in his brashness and, and emotionalism. And you can let that instruct you. But tonight, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to put yourself not in the place of those being preached to, but I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the prophet. Because sometimes, and it, it, it's right and it's good, because the message outweighs the man. Well, who's, who's worthy to, to open up this book and speak to a great crowd like this? Really, nobody. And and. The message outweighs me and the message outweighs even these prophets that wrote this down. The message was the key and and God's people were, was who he was concerned about. That's that's who God was reaching for was his people. And, and the prophet was just a messenger. But I want to highlight his life tonight. And I, I'm, I'm not just talking to preachers, although, of course, our Bible students are in here and there's plenty of preachers in the, in the audience. But I'm not just talking to the preachers. I'm talking to everybody. And I'm asking you to put yourself in the shoes of this prophet because the consequence of them disappearing is sometimes we can forget just how much of a burden they had to carry to do the will of God, because sometimes the will of God is a cross. Didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me? That's the that's what we are offered is a cross. At times. So let's look now. Amos chapter number seven and verse number one. It says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive. I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Now, what jumps off the page, of course, is the mercy of God. But perhaps what's a little more hidden is the burden that the Lord placed on the prophet. He showed him a vision of destruction. Of now, to us, when grass dies, it's annoying. My grass died over the summer, and it made our yard really ugly and brown. But when grass died, then it was your livelihood. It was how you were going to feed your family. It was what your flocks were going to be sustained on, which provided clothing and which provided food. So this was not a light vision that the Lord gave Amos. This is heavy. This is not something that you want to have happen to you, the Lord showing you this. And so... God is calling Amos to compassion. 
He's, he's looking at a people that don't deserve compassion. And the, the first burden that he's placing on him is one of compassion. Compassion is a burden. It, it takes it takes somebody with some depth to have compassion on others. And so Amos is carrying this burden from the Lord to have compassion upon a people that, as we will see, do not even like him. That, in fact, see him as the enemy and are going to call him all kinds of names. But God has said, I'm asking you to have compassion. Can I ask you to be compassionate? So tonight I have five things that the Lord is asking Amos, and I'm going to ask us to apply them to our heart. God is asking Amos, number one, for this compassion, and that drives him to number two. And he's asking Amos for prayer. Will you intercede on behalf of those that should know better, but are not doing as according to my will? Will you have compassion on those that though they hate you? Yet they're still my people. Yet there's still people created in my image. Will you have compassion and will that compassion drive you to prayer? What can God ask of you? He didn't just put us in the church to leave us in the trophy case. He didn't just put us in the church so that we would have three wishes and eternity. He didn't just put us in the church so that we could always be quote unquote happy, but so that our life could have meaning and impact others. So God is calling us to compassion, to be moved with compassion. You know, Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked over the multitudes. He said, as a flock without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion and that, that made him do something. And so God in his mercy is placing a burden upon the prophet so that the prophet will respond in a plea for mercy so that God will say, okay, I won't take away their food. I'll, I'll, I'll repent of this. I will stop this, although they deserve it. But my mercy will reach beyond what they deserve. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God that reached beyond what you deserve? And then you see it happen again. Thus saith the Lord God or the Lord God has showed unto me. And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire and it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. So you see it is just repeated again. And anything that's repeated in the Bible, God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to see this. That this is not what they deserve, but it's what I'm giving them because I've burdened someone that had compassion that prayed for them. Your prayers change things. Your prayers change things. And when God lays somebody on your heart or when you carry a weight, yeah, it's a good time to pray. That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. That probably means you're in the will of God. Because if you're in the will of God, God can use you. And sometimes when you're used by God, you're going to feel the weight settle on you. So we're called to compassion and we're called to prayer. But then the Lord does something different. And it turns a little bit in verse number seven. Thus, he showed me and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, 
Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not again pass by them anymore. So the third burden that Amos has to deal with is the burden of the plumb line. Now, what is a plumb line? It is an instrument of measurement. It is an instrument of perfection. If you're going to build a wall, the wall had better be straight and it had better be truly straight, not just straight to the eye, because as the weight builds up, if it's not, if it's off by just a little bit over time, the building will fall. So if you're going to build something, it's got to be straight. And so the plumb line is an instrument of perfection. And so what the Lord says is, yes, I have been merciful. Yes, I have been kind. And yes, I gave them what they did not deserve. But what I cannot do is violate who I am. My mercy can reach and you need to have compassion. But Amos, your compassion cannot drive you beyond my perfect standard. You're called to compassion, yes, but your compassion cannot tempt you into thinking that compromise is the answer. That's the burden that the Lord has placed on the church. It's we have to have compassion for a lost and hurting world, and we have to go before the Lord in prayer and plead for his mercy. But the Lord also says, but don't forget that I have a perfect standard. You can ask for mercy. You can plead on their behalf, but don't think that you'll do them any favors by moving the plumb line because my plumb line is perfect. Because if you build your life on something that looks right to you, but is not right to me, and does not line up in this book. You are not operating in compassion, but you are in fact operating in compromise and compromise destroys the burden that's placed on us and on this church in this day and age is we must have compassion for this lost world. But as this world gets darker, we cannot forget that there is a plumb line. We cannot forget that this word is forever settled in heaven and that there are some things that are non-negotiable in this book. There are some things that though we may love them, we can cannot compromise. So you have been called to have compassion on those that are lost. You have been called to pray for your lost loved ones, but you have also been called to hold the standard of what God's word says. I know students at Indiana Bible College, they are here when their parents say don't live for God. They are here and they're having to make these truth claims by their life where they are disagreed with by people that they love. But you know what they're saying in their heart? Mom and dad, the plumb line never moves. Uh, brother and sister, the plumb line never moves. Yes, I serve a merciful God, but my merciful God holds a perfect standard, a perfect standard. Our pastor said it on Sunday night. You are welcome in this church, but you are not welcome to stay the way that you are. You are welcome to come and you're welcome to submit your life. And it, when you do, God will begin to straighten you out. God will begin to line you out because he said, Amos, what do you see? And Amos said, I see a perfect standard. And the Lord said, I, I tried punishing them and it didn't work. So now I'm just going to let my standard stand. I'm just going to let my perfection stand and it will be its own judge. It will be its own judge. The burden of the plumb line. It's on our life. It's on our life. I get my hair cut at a, uh, let's say, a progressive place. I think to work there, you have to have a minimum of seven tattoos visible. 
<clears throat> they do really good job though. And so I, I like him and I made friends with, with the guy there and he's, he's a nice guy, really is nice guy. And we've talked about, he, he's, he's recovering drug addict and he's, 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 we talk about those things and he talked about how the church helped him. He went to this church and, but he's not a believer anymore. And so where do you work? Indiana Bible college, the plumb lines in the word. You can't hide behind it. You know, it's there. It's wow. Interesting. And so we begin to talk and things come up. Questions arise. Well, what do you do about this? What do you do about? Well, I have a lot of clients that are homosexual. What, what do you say about that? You know, there's there's nothing new under the sun. Amos was facing this same question, not in the same issue, but the same idea. We're just just keep looking on. We, we can sometimes badmouth our current culture and society and think it's it's awful. And it is awful. But, you know, it's always been awful. It, the world without God has always been awful. God's always called the church and those called by him to be a shining example, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. People just know you're different. And then and then what are you going to do? When that confrontation comes, look at, look at verse number 10, then Amaziah, the priest. Well, in verse number nine, I don't want to skip over a verse because you miss the context there. Verse number nine, the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now, Jeroboam is a king that was called by God to be the king. He was given the 10 tribes of the north. But yet he had walked away from the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm going to what I gave him. I'm going to take away. I gave it. I can take it away. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, an important person. Now, Bethel is a place of compromise. If you know anything about your history of of the Old Testament is the place where the northern kingdom was afraid that the people of Israel would turn their hearts back to the king of the, the divinic line. And so they built a false temple in Bethel, which is just right over the border to keep people from going to Jerusalem because they were they were afraid and they acted in their flesh and a fear. And so Bethel's a place of compromise. And he sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. So this is the priest, somebody that should know better, saying Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Now, He's calling Amos a conspirator, a traitor, a liar. He's calling him these names to the king. And we know from the burden that Amos carried in the beginning, this burden of compassion, that he has compassion for these people that are then calling him names. Sound familiar? God's called us to love people that think we are hateful bigots and worse. But God's called us to love them. God's called us to have compassion, but to also we cannot hide who we are. We cannot hide who God has called us to be, because that's the fourth one is that there's the call of preaching. And I, like I said, I'm not just talking to preachers tonight. I'm talking about preaching with your life. I'm talking about being willing to say what you know to be true. Even in the face of those that are calling you names, even in the face of those that are, they misunderstand or they willingly 
misunderstand who you are. Now, just, let's just look. And so, for verse number 11, for thus Amoth saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah saith unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there, but prophesy not against any more at Bethel. It's too public. You can have your faith private, but don't say it anywhere that's public. You, 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 can, you can hide somewhere else and you can maybe believe this as long as you don't say it out loud, Amos. But not here, for it's the king's chapel and it's the king's court. It's the king's chapel and it's the king's court. It's, it's the invitation to compromise. These students, they're going to be given so many opportunities to compromise. I hope you're praying for them because they're going to be given in this day and age. They're going to be given so many. You can hold that view. Just don't hold it out loud. Just don't hold it where it affects what we're doing here. Don't forget whose court you're in. You're in the king's court. But they'd forgotten who appointed the king, which was God. But nonetheless, they, they had gotten off in their thinking and, and they began puffed up. And so this, this attitude of, of compromise was there. And then I love how Amos answers this question. Because in the middle of all of these burdens, now I'm not preaching a negative message tonight because I don't want you to think that living for God is just burden. That's just all there is. It's just all you have to look forward to is just a life of sorrow and woe. Because that's, that's not the life that we live. We are a joyful people. That's why we come and we worship. We're not putting on, but we feel the joy of the Lord because we know what he's done for us. So look how Amos answers that. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son. He's saying, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here by the arm of the flesh, and I'm not. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. What did Amos have to do? He had to go back to an experience with God. He had to go back and remember what it felt like to be called by the Lord. He had to go back to those times when he had ran to the Lord for an answer and God had answered him. So I would submit to you right now that this is not the beginning of Amos's life. We're just dropping in on his story, but we have no idea what God had done for him up until this point. Because when God gives you something, eventually, because he is a good God and he is just to whom much is given. The Bible says much is required. So eventually it's not like he's tricking you. It's what he gives you. When you receive it, you're like, Lord, I've never felt anything like this. I'll do anything for you. And he says, okay, I'm going to hold you to that because what I gave was my life and you cannot match that gift. I gave more than you could even possibly give. So once you experience the joy of my salvation, once you get the gift of the Holy Ghost, once you know that your sins have been washed away in the name of Jesus Christ, then God says, okay, now I'm going to ask something of you. 
You come to me and I heal you. You come to me and I deliver you. You come to me and I, I answer your prayer. Now I'm going to ask something of you, Amos. I need you to go. I need you to, I need you to feel the burning of compassion. I need you to reach out. I need you to talk to people. I need you to pray for this city. I need you to, to reach out, but I also need you not to compromise. I also need you not to be ashamed of me because anyone that's ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. I need you to stand. And when somebody asks for you a reason of the hope, you can't just head your bet and give them a little answer. You've got to say you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, because there is a standard that must be held. And it's not enough just to hold it in your heart secretly. It's not enough just to know the truth and keep it right here. You've got to be willing to say it. You've got to be willing to say it with your life. You've got to be willing to say it with your mouth. You've got to be willing to stand. You've got to be willing to stand in your own family and say what you believe without fear, without shame, without guilt, because the Lord that you serve is worthy of that. That's how we give God glory. That's how we give him glory. Is he, he puts us through things and, and people will look at you and say, how can they live for God? How can they serve the Lord through that? And that's how he gets glory. He says, because I'm good. That's why people do that. You look at a, you look at a crowd this size and there are people that are carrying weights and burdens. Our lives aren't perfect, but yet you're here on a Wednesday night to give God glory. You're here in spite of what the enemy might be trying to work in your life or your family or those discouraging. You think I've ever been discouraged? Yes, you've been discouraged. I've been discouraged. We've let the enemy whisper in our ear and think you're wasting your life. But then what happens? You remember back uh, to a place uh, called Calvary where God forgave you. And not only do you remember in your mind, but you can feel the touch and the anointing of the Holy Ghost come over you afresh and you remember why, why it is we do what we do because we've gotten a lot from the Lord. And so when he comes knocking, we say, yes, yes. And that's how we know that we're progressing spiritually. What can the Lord ask of you? What can the Lord ask of you tonight? And the Lord took me as I followed the flock and the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people, Israel, Amos, I've done a lot for you, but what I'm about to do in your life, it's not about you. It's not about you. Listen to me, students. Forgive me. I got to preach to these folks for just a minute. You've answered the call to come to Indiana Bible College. It is no longer about you. There's plenty, of, there's plenty of spots on pews where you can be ministered to, but if you dare to minister unto God's people, you cannot forget it is no longer about you. When you stand in a pulpit, when you sit behind a keyboard, when you go on the drums, they are greater than you. They are greater than you. Because they are the, the apple of God's eye. They are what God is trying to do up here. He, he's working out there. And you are just the instrument. You are just the vessel. You are just the tool in the hand of the master. But if you dare to desire something up here for you, oh, you can get away with it for a while. You'll get away with it for a while, but you won't carry this burden for long. 
You won't carry the burden of compassion and the plumb line. You'll get off on one of the two. You might get all this compassion and then not really want to carry the weight of the, of the plumb line because it's tough to carry both. It's tough to love people that hate the Lord. It's tough to love people that hate you. But when you're unwilling to compromise and people don't want to line up, you know what's going to happen? Hate's going to come your way. But that's the burden that God has placed on you. So if you say yes to the call of God, if you say yes and it comes in an altar and it comes with great experience and great power and great anointing, and I'm thankful for that. But if you say yes to that, it ceases to be about you. And Amos had to pull back in, in that moment in a time where he was under great attack, he had to stand and he had to remember what God had called him to do and who God had called him to reach. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. So this last part, it's tough. Hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Now he's prophesying directly to the king. These are tough words to bear. But what I want you to see is. In the first part that we read, it was there was that little phrase about the king's mowings. The king had already gotten his fill of the land and the Lord was threatening to come against the people's land. And that's who he had mercy on was the people. And the king is continually trying to get him to stop preaching to the people. And so the Lord through Amos says this, therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword and thy land shall be divided by line and thou shalt die in a polluted land and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of this land. But of course, we know that's not the end of the story. It was the end of the story for that king because there is no one in a position of power that can stop what God is doing. So what I want to encourage you with, I know it's a little strange words to encourage you with, but what I want to encourage you with is that because we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the prophet tonight, that if you are called by God, there is no body with enough power to stop what God wants to do in your life. There is no power. There is no principality in this city, in this state, in this country that can stop the mission of Calvary Tabernacle because God has called us to this task. And because we are called, because we have compassion, because we are willing to pray, because we are willing to hold the standard, there is no one that will get in the way of what God wants to do because God is just. And so what our burden is, the last one, number five, the burden is to trust in God's judgment and God's justice. Those are negative words sometimes, but I don't think they need to be because we want God to be a perfect judge. Because when we have a problem, when we, someone steals from us, we go to the judge. We want it to be made right. We want there to be a sense of justice. You don't even have to teach children that, but they say, mom, that's not fair. So my sister got this and I didn't get it. We know that instinctively because we are created in the image of God. And so God's justice will prevail in the end, but we're still called with compassion. We're still called to pray. We're still called to hold the line. We are called to preach and then we are called to let God work it out the way that he's going to work it out. Because just a few chapters later, Amos gets to prophesy about the return to the land and how God's going to pull his people that he has corrected and that he has removed those obstinate 
kings. He has removed them from power and he's bringing his people back into his land to establish them forever so that through them, the Messiah could come and save the entire world. See, we trust that no matter what the circumstance look like today, God is always working. And that if you're on the side of the Lord, there may be a tough day, but it's going to turn out right because you just say, Lord, I'm submitted my life to your will. I've submitted my life to your plan. I've submitted my life to your purpose. And I am trusting in your ultimate judgment. I'm trusting that it's going to come right. I'm trusting that in this dark world, we can raise up a church. I'm trusting that in this world that is so contrary to what God would want to do, we can raise a family. We can raise a youth group. We can raise college students. We can raise a church that is on fire for God, that is full of the truth, that we don't have to compromise on holiness. We don't have to compromise on the oneness of God. We don't have to compromise on speaking in tongues. There's nothing we have to compromise on to have a church because if we are on the side of the Lord, if we are called by him, then he's going to work it out and he's going to work it out. Stand with me all across this place. What I want to do tonight, just in closing, and I'm going to let you go. I want us to ask the Lord that question. What are you asking of me? Because really for each and every one of us, it's different. It's unique. These are principles. What's God asking you to do? What, what burden is God asking you to carry? What, what stand is God asking you to take? Is somebody asking you a question right now at work and you're nervous to answer it? Our job is not to worry about how they will receive it. Now, you have to be wise. Don't, don't mishear me. But we can't hide who we are. We, we can't hide this book right here. We can't be ashamed of it. We can't be ashamed of what God's done in our life. And we just trust. We trust in God's ultimate judgment. We, tr we pray for mercy. We ask for mercy. But then we trust in God's judgment. So what's God asking you to do? Maybe there's a heaviness that you've been carrying. And it's not easy. But perhaps it's something God has placed on you for a purpose. So I wonder... Just as we dismiss, I wonder if you could just lift your hands across this place and let's just pray that prayer tonight. God, we love you. And we are so thankful, Lord, for your spirit. We are so thankful, Lord God, for your touch and what you've done for us. We're thankful, God, for every time that you lifted us up, that you encouraged us, that you blessed us, God, that you strengthened us, Lord. We're so thankful. And God, now... Lord, we are submitting our life, God, and we're asking you that question. What are you asking of us? What are you asking of us, God? What burden are you play, trying to place on our life, God? We willingly say yes to that, God. We say yes to your call, to your plan, to your purpose, to your will. We say yes to you, Lord God. We say yes, Lord Jesus. Use our life, God. Use our life to reach this city. Use our life to reach our neighbor. Use our life to reach our family. Use our life, oh God, to give you glory, God, as we submit our life to you, God. 
Use this church, oh Lord. Use us, God, for your glory in this last day. And God, we'll give you the praise because we are so grateful for all that you've done for us, Lord. We could never repay what you've given us, God. We could never repay what it felt like to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. We could never repay what it felt like to feel our sins washed away in the name of Jesus Christ. We could never repay every answered prayer. We could never repay the peace that passes understanding. We could never repay the joy unspeakable. So we submit our lives to you, God. We give our life to you, Lord Jesus, tonight. And God, we give you glory and we give you honor. Let's just worship the Lord for a minute. God, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for your free gifts that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for all you've done for us, God. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being at Bible study tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. God bless you.